0: Antic Heart, Chapter Eleven. <laughs> Up from the docks in Calais and close ourselves off from the world. Every morning and evening I go out with Girl to exercise him and to buy wine and food for us all. We live off apples and soft French cheese. Sometimes we drink the local cider which is sharp and refreshing. We let Girl out to run through the old streets and he always returns. Lucy scribbles a message to the king and I painstakingly write a letter to Edward Hyde. We have no horses, little money, and no guide. Of course, we could obtain all of these if we sold the jewellery that we carry, but that is meant for the king. So all we can do is wait and be patient. Wait for an answer to our messages and a passage to Paris. We spend the days talking and the nights making love. Lucy tells me about Henrietta Maria, the dead king's wife. She came to England as a child, with all the spirit and fire of a princess of France. She was tiny, but so pretty. But it wasn't easy for her to tell the truth. At first she found life at court strange and distressing, she is a roman catholic of course and the late king charles was a devout anglican he took being head of the church very seriously she looked abstracted her mind full of memories their first years together were stormy no one remembers that now all everyone says is that they were a devoted couple and they were as they got to love each other but then she felt alone, and he thought that she was not supporting him as she should. She wouldn't take part in court ceremonies, and she refused to make friends. Now, he was a patient man, the dead king. He was very unhappy, but he did nothing. He wanted her to warm to him in her own time, but she just became more isolated and unhappy. She spent all of her time with her French retinue, speaking French, eating French, worshipping in French. In the end, he'd had enough. He dismissed her French ladies and brought in some English ladies instead. I was one of those ladies. (laughs) Lucy chuckles. Oh, at first she hated us. She told us we were spies and she would not talk to us. Her eyes cloud over and she looked wistful. Of course, I was a spy. I reported back to the king every week, as did some of the others. Not to trip her up or accuse her of anything. No, he was worried that she was so unhappy. He was afraid that might lead to uh, unsuitable friendships. And he wanted to stop anything like that before it led to trouble. I'm not surprised that she hated you, I said. Poor lady to be surrounded by spying eyes. Lucy shrugged her shoulders. Yes, I felt sorry for her. We all did. But we had a job to do. She was a Roman Catholic in a Protestant court. We had to make sure that no suspicion could attach to her. And then, as time went on, we grew closer. At first, it was clothes. She loved fashion, the latest styles and materials. Of course, so did I. Oh, the damasks and the brocades we wore. She smoothed down her plain gown, not like this one. We had such beautiful dresses. I still wear some of them at Penshurst, where nobody can see me. So what was it like living at court with all the grandees? Were you not nervous? I know her so well that I often forget what stock she comes from. She laughs loudly. "Hmm, Do not forget, Henriette, that I myself... I am a grandee. I am the Duchess of Carlisle. I am well used to grand houses and grand people. My father was the Duke of Northumberland. Coronets do not make me nervous. She pauses for breath and then continues. And then the Queen softened towards me. For months we were very... She hesitates close. There was attraction there, if not trust. She is a kind woman and she likes to dance and sing. She's quite different from the late king, who was always a little too serious. That's why she was happy with me. I made her laugh. But then she fell in love with him and he with her and things were never the same again. He became her life she lived for him and for her children. We were still good friends, me and her. But it was for him that her eyes lit up whenever he came into the room. She did love him. Oh, indeed she did. And he loved her too. They were devoted. I have never seen a family so happy. I was not reporting back to the king any more. There was no point. He knew whatever she was doing, because she would tell him. And she knew that if he forbade anything, it was for her own safety. So I became a friend, and for many years we were very close. I had a lover then, the Duke of Buckingham. It was the talk of the court, and many hated me for it. The Duke was the favourite of the king, And I, the favourite of the Queen. We were the most powerful people at court. There were those who spoke ill of me and said that I betrayed my husband. But she never reprimanded me. She was a true friend. But you did betray your husband, I stated flatly. I never went behind his back, Henriette. He knew everything that was going on and he accepted it, she says hotly. You do not understand how things were with us. I touch her gently on the shoulder. I am sorry, I must not judge you. I was brought up very differently to you. My mother and father were faithful to each other always, but then they had to be. What would have happened to my mother if she had been unfaithful? She would have broken that shield they both had against the world, leaving their lives in chaos. What would she have done? Where would she have gone? She had no other family alive. What would have happened to me? It is different from ordinary people, Lucy. I know that, Henriette, and perhaps it was better. But you must remember that for us courtiers, every part of life was entangled with power, getting it, losing it. My husband accepted my affair because it brought power. I nod. I see. I think I understand. So what happened? Lucy looks very sad. It could not go on forever. I fell out of love with the court and everyone in it. It was such a wonderful place to be. So many parties, clever people, good-looking people. I loved it, but it went sour on me. While I was Buckingham's mistress, everything fell into my lap. He was the king's best friend, and I was his lover. But then he was killed. That was a terrible day. I couldn't believe it. I just couldn't. He was such a shining light. Everybody loved him. And then for his life to be snuffed out by a madman, I couldn't believe it. Her eyes mist over and she wipes them with a screwed up fist. After Buckingham was assassinated, the light went out of life. Oh, me and my husband got along fine. We were always good friends, but the passion had gone. We were good operators, professional courtiers. We knew who to befriend and who to ignore. Henriette, if you had wanted to meet the most powerful men in England, you would have come to our dinners. We had them all under our roof. Don't you miss all of that? I ask, trying to imagine all of the history she has of living without me. Yes, of course I do. That is why I am working for Orlando, to bring the good days back. I have never been one to sit and cry. But your lover was killed. I realise how tough she is. She looks at me and corrects my words. Lovers, Henriette. I lost two lovers. After Buckingham, I met Tom Wentworth. I adored him, absolutely adored him. I look blank. Tom Wentworth, the Earl of Stratford, she elucidates. With him, we could talk and develop ideas. It was a meeting of minds. He respected my intelligence as much as he loved my body. Then, she says bitterly, he was killed by no assassin. He was killed by the state, by the king's own government. He wasn't popular, and they forced the king to have him executed. An innocent man! That was the deepest grief, and the deepest anger, too. I wanted nothing to do with the whole wicked scene any more. She turns to me and grins. But me being me, I didn't retire to the country, I just changed sides. I fell in love with John Pym, the parliamentarian, such a brilliant man, a true revolutionary. Pym, I laughed, thinking of the horse I had left behind in England. So what happened to him? He died, not in war, in his bed. She looks at me and shakes her head gently. You are young. You do not know how cruel the time is when all your friends have died. And then you think, what do ideas matter? What does belief matter? All that matters is the people we love. The war brought everything to an end. Friends were no longer friends. It shouldn't have happened. We turned against our families, our friends and neighbours. And what for? A King Oliver who is just as bad as King Charles was. All the gaiety has gone out of life. At this point, girl, who has been snoring gently at the bottom of the bed, stirs and starts barking. There is someone at the door. I stand up. I'll go down. I run downstairs with girl at my ankles. The concierge is standing by the door, gesturing at a man who is standing there. I look into the sunlight and realise that it is Jeanne, who had accompanied me to Calais all those months ago. He towers over the concierge. Behind him there is a young lad holding three horses and a mule. Jeanne looks me up and down doubtfully. I stare, wondering why he is doing this. Then I look down at my women's clothes and understand. I smile at Jean and shrug my shoulders. Friend, you are much changed, he says, in an unfriendly manner. Yes, it was necessary, I say airily. I often wear disguises. And this is true. My whole life is lived in disguise. Still got the damned dog, though. Thought you'd have got rid of him by now. Girl snarls and hides behind my skirts. I've been sent to escort you to Paris. I have a message for the lady. He pulls a sealed document from inside his doublet and holds it out. For the lady, he emphasises, will you make sure she receives it? I will take it to her immediately, I say, taking it in my hand and turning to go upstairs. Jean calls out after me. I have taken a room here tonight, he says. Pack your things. we ride for Paris tomorrow. Back in our room, Lucy scans the letter quickly, then goes back and reads it more slowly, tracing the words with her index finger. She is dishevelled, her hair tousled and her shift crumpled. She looks older today and I remember that she is the same age as my mother. But she's still beautiful, even when she's frowning. She looks up at me. Henriette, our time together is coming to an end. You are to become Henry tomorrow at dawn. Your clothes are in my chest. Jean is then going to escort us to Paris. Her voice is cold, emotionless. I feel as if my heart is freezing over. And what then? What becomes of me? I'm angry with her, though I know that this was always going to happen. You will go to Edward Hyde's and then your mother's. She will be pleased to see you, no doubt, and relieved that you have come to no harm. I struggle to see my Lucy in this woman, who is so much in control of herself and her emotions. And where will you go? I fight the impulse to cry. I have a room at the exiled court, she says. Just think, I will see the Queen again. And her son, too. So what about me? Don't I matter? I have not felt jealousy before like this. But then I have not loved before like this. Henriette, of course you matter. We will see each other very often, I promise. But do not begrudge me some time with my dear old friends. I have so much to share with them. She makes it sound like they will all be sitting down for a pleasant dinner together and for a moment I am reassured. I picture her sitting with the Queen, sharing memories together. She dashes my hopes immediately. I cannot tell you how much I long to see Orlando, she says. I tell you, I have never known a young man so beset with troubles and yet he is kind. He has a magic about him and he's so charming. I can't get him out of my head. I really can't. Will she have an affair with him? I am learning that for Lucy, sex is as much part of friendship as conversation. Yes, she is much older than he is, but then she is much older than me also. That has never played a part in my love for her and my lust for her body. She is, and always will be, a great beauty. Because of that, she has a supreme confidence in her effect on people and her ability to seduce anyone. But surely with me, it was different. And yet I know it wasn't. And I curse myself for wanting to know that I am somehow special. Why does he mean so much to you? I demand. Why? Well, he is the king, of course, she replies. And he and I think alike. We are kindred souls, Henriette. We are kind people, but not too constant. We are not cruel. We hurt by omission. And for some, that is the hardest hurt to bear. It is painful to become part of the scenery. So that is what I will become, part of the scenery. No, no, no. You will always have a leading role, my Henriette. But you must accept that there are other actors, other brilliant stars. She looks at me musingly. I thought, Henriette, that you we also like us. You have made many women fall in love with you, have you not? You have never treated them badly, but you have flown from one to another in search of honey, eh? But I didn't love them, I protest. She puts her hand on my arm. Love? I love you, Henriette. I do. But if you love me, as you say you do, you will accept me. For what else can we do? I hang my head, my heart thumping. Lucy continues. Do you think you and me could live together as lovers? How could that be? Unless you were to come to me as a serving girl... And I know you would not want that. We would be stuck in the country with no excitement and no friends. We wouldn't last a year. You may not think it, but you are as addicted to this way of life as I am, Henriette. Come, my love, let's be cheerful. Let us not waste our last night. Send out for some wine, sweetheart, and we will toast our love. I catch her face in my hands and kiss her very gently. She is right. I must accept her as she is. And so I fetch some wine and we stay out for hours, drinking, talking, loving. It is still dark when I slip out of bed. I am shivering as I pull on my jacket, my breeches and my cloak. The mornings are getting colder. It feels good to be free again and to be able to move without the constraints of girdles and skirts. I reflect that this would have been my life had my father not been killed. And I am glad that it is not so. I splash my face with water and move to the door. Lucy is still sleeping and I gaze at her for a long time, trying to fix the image of her in my head when we are apart i leave her and make my way downstairs followed by a girl who is dancing and fussing around me jean is already there drinking ale and chewing on a hunk of bread and some cheese he looks me up and down and raises a hand in greeting i take some food and start eating it without appreciation Between mouthfuls, I exchange a few words with him about the route we will follow. As we are finishing, Lucy appears. She looks tired and there is a suggestion of redness about her eyes. But she has dressed in her favourite green gown and her manner is sprightly. Good morning, my friends, she says, as she sits down beside me. I can smell her rose scent so clearly I want to take her in my arms and breathe it in. But we are no longer alone. Lucy nibbles at a slice of cheese and sips her ale briefly before rising from the table. And so we set out for Paris. Jean has not changed since I last saw him. And apart from a sardonic lift of his eyebrow, he doesn't engage. Lucy chatters brightly, and her voice flutes across the silence that is otherwise between us. I am unable to speak for most of the time, listening to the slow plod of the horse's hooves and the pad of girls' paws as he walks beside us. My mind is anything but silent. How could Lucy move on so quickly from what we had shared together? I could not comprehend how her heart worked, although I'm trying so hard. When she told me she loved me, I thought that meant forever. Now, I wonder if I mean little more to her than the women I've played with mean to me. We stop at Abbeville on the River Somme and Jean finds us an inn for the night. Together, he and I stable the horses and make our way inside to order some food. It is colder now and the autumn nights are chilly but the inn is well lit with a fire burning at the hearth. I can smell a pot of chicken cooking slowly in the local wine but I do not feel hungry. We sit down together and Jean orders food for us all. Lucy eats hungrily while Jean dispatches his helping as if it were an important task girl sits eagerly under the table, snapping up titbits. I am the only one who doesn't touch my plate. I cannot bear the fact that I am so close to Lucy and yet unable to speak frankly with her. Lucy looks at me and smiles. Henry, eat your chicken. You will need energy for the road ahead, she admonishes me. I look down at my plate. My lady, I cannot find my appetite now. I have too much to think about, I say dolefully. Henry, you do not need to think, she says. Soon we will see Orlando. We will decide what to do. Just think, we will have some time in Paris, Henry. You will be able to see your mother and spend time with your amours. Then we will get back to work. She smiles at me as an older sister might. Now eat. You win no battles on an empty stomach. Obediently, I cut a piece of chicken and take it into my mouth. It is dark and juicy with wine and tastes very good. Despite myself, I find my appetite rising and I finish the meal just a few minutes after the other two. We sit together, drinking the last of our wine, in silent companionship. The innkeeper comes over to us. There is a messenger for you, my lady, he says, turning back and ushering a tired and dusty young man into the room. The young man bows to us all and then hands Lucy a document. I have this letter for you, my lady. It is from Orlando, he says. Lucy? who was already animated, becomes very excited. She takes it quickly and breaks open the seal, her hands trembling. She scans the letter once and then re-reads it. She looks up and says, "'Tomorrow we set off together, "'but when we reach Paris, I must go ahead alone. "'You are both instructed to go to Monsieur Lavocat.' "'And you?' I demand.' What are you going to do? She looks me full in the face. I am going to Orlando, she says levelly. He wants to see me alone. My face flushes and I feel as if I am going to be sick. What business do Orlando and Lucy have alone together? But I keep silent. Jean nods his head. Very well, my lady, he says, I will guide you to Paris tomorrow and then the two of us will make our way to Monsieur L'avocat. Now I will check on the horses and then I will make my way to bed. He gets up from the table, bows to Lucy and leaves us with the messenger. Have some wine, sir, Lucy says, and tell me, how does Orlando... The young man blushes. He is sad, my lady, but he is looking forward to seeing you. Lucy bridles with pleasure. And I am looking forward to seeing him, she responds. But now we must all sleep. Thank you for the message. Tell Orlando I am on my way. The young man tips his hat to her and leaves in a hurry. He has instructions to reach his master before we do, and it will be an overnight ride. That night I cannot sleep. I am sharing a room with Jean, who is snoring. Lucy has her own small room, away from us men. If only I could touch her and tell her how much I love her. But now I am Henry again. I cannot share her room. This is how life will be from now on. I torture myself with thoughts of her with the king. I know her and I know of his reputation. They are both libertines and there are no limits on what they might share together. This isn't because they are sinful. They just don't see what is wrong about having many lovers. Am I so old-fashioned I cannot understand this way of loving? I have myself used my sexuality to win over many women. So what is the difference? I tell myself that I never loved them. I may have liked them, but I never loved them. The problem is, I think Lucy does love me, and I certainly love her. But her love is made of a different stuff to the everyday. Girl jumps onto the bed and snuggles up against me. At last, my arm over his furry body, I sleep. It is nearly nightfall when we reach Paris. An escort has been sent to meet Lucy and she rides ahead with him into the darkness. Jean and I make our way to Edward Hyde's quarters, as instructed. He is still up, working at his desk by candlelight. Ah, Henry, he greets me warmly. Grasping my hand in a strong handshake, he nods to my companion. Jean, you may go now. Get some food from the kitchen and report back to me tomorrow morning. Oh, and take the dog with you. Jean bows and leaves the room, grabbing girl by the collar before closing the door quietly behind them both. So what have you got for me? Hyde asks. Show me what you've gathered for the king's cause. I reach into my pouch and take out the ruby pendant and the glowing pearls. Hyde whistles under his breath. He is impressed, I can tell. These will fetch a good amount, he remarks, lifting the fiery pendant up to the light. This in particular is very fine It came from a merchant's wife, you say. Hmm, I wonder how she got it. He puts it carefully down on his desk. But you experienced problems, did you not? It looks as if someone is talking and causing trouble and we don't know who it is. I need you to think carefully over everyone you met during the last few months and ask yourself if any of them could have betrayed you. This merchant's wife, for example, how did she get such a pendant? Is she not what she seems? No, sir, she is genuine, I'm sure of that. She had an aristocratic admirer in her youth. She is no double dealer. I smile, remembering Judith Pettigrew. She may be foolish, but she is a good woman, I know. Hyde sighs in frustration. That is the problem. We cannot identify the leak. The fact remains that someone has informed on the Countess of Carlisle, and we need to find out who it is before she can resume operations. Hyde is brusque. But if it isn't one of the network in England, I believe it may be someone here. In Paris, we need to make enquiries but without raising anyone's suspicions. You can take on this task, Henry, for me and the king. I'm taken aback. But how can I do this? I protest. I know no one at court. That is why I want you to do it, he smiles. You are to join the court as Henriette. No one knows you but you have a way of attracting confidence which may be useful. Henriette, can I not do this as myself? I ask, dreading what was to come. You will be able to speak to all the women that surround the king. Make yourself the best friend. Talk and laugh with them when they have taken wine. Find out who they know. There are mm, jealousies there you will be able to find out who might wish the countess ill. Can I not do that as Henry? Don't think I wouldn't prefer that. I'm an old-fashioned man myself, and I don't hold with all these love games, Hyatt says severely. But it is the king who has suggested this, and I can see his point. As Henry Nash, you are known... But as a woman, you can reach into places that Henry cannot go. But my mother, my friends, I say, if I'm disguised as a woman, I cannot see them. Hyde waves his arm expansively. Take a week, see your mother, he says, as if he's giving me a wonderful present. Then come back to me. There's no worry. King Charles has only just returned to Paris. All the royals left during the summer. There was rioting and rebellion in the capital, but it has all been put down now. And what of the Countess of Carlisle? What will happen to her? I ask, knowing that he will not give me the answer I want. The Countess of Carlisle is very close to the king and to his mother. She will be closeted with them for some weeks, I believe. By God's grace... When she is ready to return, you will have found the spy in our midst and it will be safe for her to do so. So I am not to see Lucy again for some time. And what will she be doing while closeted with the king? I cannot bear to think and blurt out. So when I see her again, Hyde looked suspiciously at me. You may do. You will be close to the women around the king. You will be part of the court. And in the end, one sees everyone at the court. He smiles thinly. Now get to your mother and make your peace with her. I will dispose of these jewels and tell the king we have income for the next couple of months. He will be pleased, as am I. There's no point in arguing. I bow to hide and leave the room. I pause at the kitchen for a large bowl of pottage and a tankard of ale. Girl bounces up to me, licking his lips. I notice that he has nearly finished a large plate of rabbit pie. As ever, he is able to charm the kitchen maids much better than I can. But my pottage is good and the ale relaxes me so that I am able to smile and chat with all of the staff. After half an hour, I get up to leave. Girl springs up with me and stands besides me, his tail wagging insanely. I bow to the assembled kitchen servants and make my way to the door. Then I walk away from the small number of lighted rooms that is the English exiled court. I make my way through the dark, empty corridors of the Louvre and out into central Paris. It is completely dark now, and the streets are only lit by lights spilling out from the houses and shops. I walk quickly, with girl trotting happily along by my side, and my mind preoccupied.